1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey,
0: everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we are back for another episode. But before we dive into that, Claire, did you have a good weekend?
2: I did. I actually was a part of this really cool volunteer project actually just earlier this morning. Um, And it basically is something that builds playgrounds for kids that have cancer. So it's pretty sad, obviously, but, um, it was really cool in the sense of we all got together, even though it was really hot out, there were like 20 of us Mm -hmm. and we just built this really amazing wooden playground for this child who has been isolated for so long. The program's called rock solid, R O C rock solid. It's an awesome foundation. If you want to look into it and see if there's some Somebody or some program around you um, to help out with because I think it's a really really cool program. So That's I just awesome. wanted to give them a shout out because it was awesome. I would have cried the entire time. Um, yes, they came out. We actually got to see him see oh. the playset, and it was yeah, eyeballed. It was I cried because he was so happy, and it was a happy yeah. cry definitely. Yeah. But also, his mom gave a little speech, and that was just like heart wrenching. And he's oh. only four, so. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, just a little guy. No, it was very cool though. A very cool experience for sure. That's awesome. Well, that
0: that beats <laughs> what I did. I um, just kind of hung out with family yesterday. Nick's parents came over for dinner. We hung out with Henry. And then today I went and saw my Nana again with That's Henry. Fun. So I it's feel like I'm just in
2: quarantine though. We're still like, you know, yeah, confined. For the most part, but yeah,
0: I also feel like everyone just wants to see Henry and not me. But
2: (laughs) I feel like that's how it is when you have a kid, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, all right, um, before we dive into today's episode, we did want to say thank you so much for such an awesome response and feedback from our last episode, which was addressing sensory needs. And we did have a couple people reach out with ideas or questions, one of which was a dental student that was interested in some ideas to help children out when they come to the dentist and how to deal with such an overstimulating environment,
2: which is so cool. I never, even, well, I mean, I do think of that because the dentist is a hard place to be, right. but I never really thought of that in sensory needs terms. Like I thought that was such a cool question we got.
0: Yeah. And I love that she found us on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, which is so cool. So we loved being able to give her some suggestions and tools to check out. So please don't forget to reach out. If you guys have any questions or ideas, when you listen to an episode, we would love to share them on air for everyone to hear. Mm -hmm. So for today's episode, we have such a special guest that Claire and I are so excited about. Um, Jenna Castro-Casbon, the founder of The Independent Clinician.
2: Yes, we are so excited. We can't wait to hear from her. Uh, Jenna has been such a mentor and inspiration in the process of creating both of our brands. So Rachel and I individually um, with our business and then together with a podcast. So I was part of the May Plan Your Practice in Five Days Challenge. And I think Rachel was also part of that prior mm-hmm. to that she has one every month um that 5-day challenge in each month so we both have been a part of those and i don't know about you rachel but it like moved me totally. like shook me to my core it was so inspirational yeah. and just again physically got me moving because it got me moving into actually making this practice and it pushed me to stop waiting for the right time and just do it and um we'll hear a lot of that from her coming up but that's kind of really what it's about is giving you that confidence so SLPs listening, I want to be clear before we dive into all of this that private practice does not always mean you have to drop your day job and start up your own full running business. Although it definitely could and it should be the ultimate goal eventually. But it does not need to be that right away. For both Rachel and I, our private practices are a side hustle, as Jenna puts it, which I love that term. Uh, We have a full-time job, but we also see clients under our private business name so that it's legal. So this is how you see clients on the side. And I'm sure you've heard of that, but you also need to make sure you protect yourself to make it legal. So that's where the private practice comes in and owning that business. So essentially, it's like having two jobs, except with this one, you get to be the boss and you get to be in charge of how many clients you see, what you charge, all of that, which I think we all could use some of. Totally. So parents listening, if you are a parent and you're listening, um, I hope that you will also get something out of this. We want to be a resource for you when looking for speech therapy for your child, and we want you to know your options. The unfortunate truth is that a lot of clinics and hospitals have wait lists and the wait lists are really long and they don't move very quickly, especially during COVID. I feel like everything has just been completely stopped. It's and kind of on hold. Yes. And yeah. it's so unfortunate. And my, my hope for you as a parent, if you're listening, is that you might try and seek out some private practices instead because these clinics are just not moving quick enough. You know, in the meantime, your child is going through such crucial years and, You don't want to miss out on those milestones. So, my advice will always be to not wait. You, as a parent, know your child, listen to your gut and seek out services for them sooner rather than later. And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying it because, you know, action needs to be taken. We can't see change unless we start moving. So if you need help finding resources near you, please contact us. We would love to help. Sometimes we have just a better way of searching for things than you do. So even if it's not our state, maybe we could really help you find some other resources. So please contact us. So without further ado, Jenna, welcome to our show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to meet you all and get to talk to your audience. Yes. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do and why you started? Yeah, great question. So um, my name is Jenna, obviously. Um, I help speech-language pathologists build
1: successful private practices through my company, The Independent Clinician. So I help speech therapists who maybe either have always wanted to start a private practice or for whom maybe an opportunity has fallen to their lap and they're scrambling to figure out what they're gonna do next, um, establish a private practice that works for them and for their family and for their season of life. And I've been doing this for, gosh, about 12 years now and I estimate that I've helped over 10,000 SLPs start their private practices. That's awesome. It's awesome, right? It's fun. I really like, you know, I never really thought I'd be doing this, but I really like the idea of like reinventing yourself every now and then.
2: Mm -hmm. So um,
1: this is something that I've become very passionate about, and um, I don't know, I love doing it, so, so why not do more of it, right? Definitely, yeah, I agree, that's awesome.
0: So why don't you go ahead and kind of roll through the um, five step process on how to start a successful private practice?
1: Great. Okay. So a lot of times, um, SLPs say that they're interested in starting a private practice, even seeing a couple private clients on the side, but they don't know how to start. And SLPs tend to be like a little bit more type A rule followers, like what the steps are, right? (laughs) Speaking to the crowd here. (laughs) And so people don't want to make a mistake, right? So what I developed over time was this five-step process that people can go through and that I think every successful private practitioner has gone through and needs to go through in order for this to be successful. So... Um, every step in the phase starts with the letter P, right? Because SLPs love that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so I'll go through the this, this steps, um, like all together and then I'll break them down one by one quickly. So the, um, five step process, the first phase is picture your private practice, then protect your private practice, promote your private practice, get paid in private practice, and then prosper in private practice. Oh, wow. So... Nice, easy to follow. Mm -hmm. The first two steps are really about laying that foundation down. And then the last three steps are about like building upon your initial vision. So in the picture phase, before you are going to do anything, like before you would build a house, right? You need to have a vision for what your house looks like. And you hopefully are going to, you know, consult an architect and whatnot. So that's the picture phase where you're really thinking about, you know, what kinds of clients do I want to work with? when can i be seeing clients a lot of these are wh questions too right so like who do i want to see when do i want to see them what services do you want to provide where do you want to actually see these clients and then another question is what is your why right you need to know why you want to be doing this in the first place and so that's the picture phase and before i move on to protect Um, Do you guys want to share what your whys are for being a player? Yeah,
2: definitely. So um, I was kind of going through this. I did like your five days to private practice. And part of that, SLPs, if you're listening and you want to join those groups are awesome because everyone shares their whys and everyone's is a little bit different. So, um, but you all still really relate. So it is a really cool kind of cohort cohort to be a part of. Um, But my why is I had been having a lot of experiences in the outpatient clinical settings and the wait lists are just obscene. And I know that you guys know that parents, I know, you know, that these wait lists are unbelievable. And I was getting so frustrated because I felt like I couldn't, help as many kids as I wanted to. And even the kids I was seeing, I was back to back to back to back. So I was 30 minute session, 30 minute session, 30 minute session. And I felt like I didn't have time to help the kids as much as they needed to be helped. And I was like, there's got to be another way. And that's kind of what really pushed me and why I wanted to start something on my own.
0: Yeah. Mine is very similar, but also very different. Um, I started my CF at an elementary school, and I'm at the same elementary school, which I totally love, but similar to what Claire just said, is caseloads are so high, and your time with children is very limited, and then add on top of that, um, my school is in a very low income area, we see low attendance, we have a very transient um, population in our school and I was seeing the same thing as Claire and it was so frustrating to see very minimal progress and um just kind of wondering how I could step outside of that and see more growth or see more of an impact and see how I can help um it's along kind of the same lines as Claire
2: and I think it's hard because I feel like a lot of SLPs like maybe they start in a school. Like so that's where I started as as a CF as well. So I started in a school and then I moved to outpatient because I was like, I don't have time in the school. I want to be able to have more time in this outpatient clinic. I'll have so much more time. And I got there and I was like, Whoa, I have way less time. This was mm-hmm. not what I thought at all. And it's just, you know, I I understand there's the productivity that needs to be met. It all makes sense. You know, we are part of an economy. We need to do what our company wants us to do, but at the same time, why not have that company be ourselves? So yeah. it, it's just a really good option, I think.
1: Totally right. So when you're thinking about your whys, the second part of that is to think like, why not? Right. Exactly. Like, why not? Why mm-hmm. not try it? And and for everyone listening to to Claire and Rachel, notice that you know you know they were really talking about the freedom and the flexibility and the fulfillment as the main reasons mm-hmm. why they went you know started private practices right so okay so the first thing you're going to do is get this vision for what you want right think of that like the architectural design of your house like what do you want your private practice to look like and know that it may change over time eventually you might want a big you know brick and mortar clinic with employees and you know, all that kind of stuff. But you might, you know, my advice is to start small and usually on the side of a regular job so that you can keep your, you know, steady income and benefits and whatnot until you start to grow. Okay, so we've we've pictured our private practices. Now we're going to do the phase of protect your private practice. And this is where you get your ducks in a row. Who listening likes to get their ducks in a row?
2: All of us. <laughs> yeah, everybody's raising their
1: hand, even in their cars, their driving. Right. to <laughs> get their ducks in a row, right? So this is the part where you're going to get those necessary... Legal, financial, and professional protections to make sure that you are safeguarded as you're starting. Right, so this is where you're going to get liability insurance, a business license if that's something that your town requires. Making sure that you know what kind of documentation that you're going to use. Um, either maybe getting an LLC or a PLLC or whatever sort of you know business entity makes sense for you in your situation. So those, so that's the protect phase, and you have to do that before you move on to the next phase, which is promote and you start getting those clients, right? So remember, picturing and protecting is about laying that solid foundation and getting those ducks in a row. And then once you have those ducks in a row, then you need to start putting the word out about your private practice. And that's what happens in the promote phase. So a lot of times SLPs are worried about you know, marketing and people like don't wanna be pushy or like be salesy or that kind of thing. And so I ask like, are you pushy in real life? Because if you're not pushy in real life, you're probably not gonna be pushy as a business owner. In fact, what I find is that most people in my programs need a little bit more pushing mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to start to get the word out about their private practice, right? Yeah. So yeah. What, what marketing really is, is, is communication. And the good news is, is that everyone listening, or probably most people, have you know a degree in communication disorders. But nonetheless, communication, right? So, you know, what marketing is, is really sending, you know, is helping people know whether or not they're a right fit for something. And if people, you know, if you have skills and you have information and, you know, clinical expertise that could help someone, then I think it's your duty to help them, right? And, you know, and just like Claire said, you like, why not help them, like, for yourself as part of your own company versus, you know, uh, another company um, that's going to limit some of your, your freedoms and, and take, like, a bunch of the money, right? Yeah. Right. So, like, realistically. So, right. okay, so, so that's the promote phase. And, like, it's not really about glossy logos or, like, you know, perfect colors or that kind of thing. It's really about making sure that the people who need your services know that you exist, know that you're available, and also understand how it is that you can help them or their child or their family member, Right. And one of the the coolest things I just want to say real quick is someone in my program last week, or maybe two weeks ago now, got their first client in a Subway restaurant, right? Like $5 footlongs and whatnot. (laughs) Because, because, get this, she was wearing like a speech therapy, like pride t-shirt, like one of those like cute shirts, uh, right? And so this mom came up to her and said, oh my gosh, like, are you a speech pathologist? Are you... Are you or anyone, you know, giving services because my, I have a child with autism who's going without services right now. Like, could you help them?
2: That's amazing. I love
1: that. <laughs> and she was like, yes, I can. And that yeah. was her very first private client. How cool is that? That's so right? great. Well, And how cool
2: that she could say, yes, I can, you know, that she had that opportunity. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because you just never know when, like, the universe is going to present people, again, who need services. And, like, right now during coronavirus and whatnot, like, there's so many people who are going either without services or without quality services. And there are speech pathologists who, like, either, like, want work, need work, you know, have extra time or certainly have the expertise to be filling that gap.
0: And honestly, I feel like you find people from totally unexpected places. Like you just shared the subway story, but when I like officially launched my private practice, I just shared it on Facebook just as like a want my friends and family to know kind of thing. And just from that post alone, my email was flooded (laughs) with, I need an evaluation. I have this concern, even if it didn't follow through to an evaluation or therapy, I was still able to provide like a simple consultation on this is my recommendation. This is what I think from a professional standpoint. And if you seek it out, that's awesome. If it's not the right time, that's okay too.
2: Right. Awesome. And there's so many that Facebook is just the best resource, honestly, yeah. out there. I feel like, cause you already have your group of people that trust you. And then they get your word out to their group of people that trust them. And it's like a ripple effect. And because Rachel, I agree, I got a bunch from doing the same thing. And it's kind of crazy how easy that is just to get your name out there.
0: Yeah. And then even building on that, like there were people that contacted me that didn't live in Michigan, but still wanted me to service their children. And unfortunately, I'm only licensed in Michigan. I can only you know, those are my boundaries, but how easy Claire's in Virginia and I could pass someone over to her because we knew each other, you know, exactly. Like and I've been the like same. That.
2: Yeah. I've been the same way. Like people from Michigan contact me. So I'm like, Nope, I can't, but I have someone awesome that can, yeah. which is so cool about having, you know, a field of speech pathologists that are in private practice that you can refer to. I think that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And was that
1: pushy on either of your ends?
2: No, No, right. right? It was helpful.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Right? Right. A lot of times I think people are mistaking, not wanting to be pushy for just, you just have to be helpful. Like people have to know right. about your services, right? Okay. Right. So, so now we've talked about the picture phase, we've talked about protect, and then we talked about promote. So the next one is get paid. Now this is the part that sometimes people get a little bit nervous about because people have like funny feelings about money. But the idea is, is that, you know, you have a master's degree and I want you to earn like it. If you're feeling like you're not currently earning like it, then it's up to you to figure out how to make that happen because it's probably not going to happen on its own or it's going to happen over a really long time as you're working up, you know, the steps or the ladder or whatever they have in your current, um, you know, job setting. So the most common ways that people are paid for private practice is private pay, um, private health insurances, Medicare, Medicaid and then also school contracts. And it doesn't matter which of those or a combination of those that you pick, you know, you could start with one and then move into something else. I often recommend that people start with private pay because I think it's cleaner and easier, even though sometimes it can be harder to find private pay clients. Mm -hmm. But what I want people to do is try to start that way and to ride that private pay train for as long as you can. And then as soon as it's not working out as much, then you gotta figure out, okay, do I want to do insurance? Do I want to do Medicare Medicaid or school contracts? But that's really when you're starting to more be growing. Now, the other thing that, you know, people want to know is like, what's the going rate in Michigan? What's the going rate in Palm Beach, Florida? Like, I don't know. And I don't think that there is like, or shouldn't be a going rate, right? I believe that you should be pricing your services based on the value that you provide in terms of like, your number of years of experience, your level of expertise. You know, if you if you hear that the going rate, let's say you live in Manhattan or something and you say the going, here, the going rate is, I'm making this up, everyone listening. Let's say <laughs> you, you hear that it's 150 an hour, right? Well, maybe you graduated like three weeks ago and mm-hmm. you're trying to charge 150 an hour, but the people who are actually charging that like ha- have 20 years of experience, right? right. So I, I really don't think that it's a good idea to base on anything other than you know what you feel comfortable doing based on what your level of expertise and whatnot is, right? right? I also want people to know that you have to pay taxes on this. You have to track your income and you have to pay taxes. I teach people how to start legitimate businesses, not like under the table babysitting money kinds of operations, right? You are running an actual legitimate business that you are going to be making some solid income in. And so you want to be able to track those that income and also take tax deductions that are very allowable by the government, and you know, as a business, um, and that will help offset your income so that you can pay less taxes. So that's something else that I help people to do. Right. Um, so that's the the get paid portion. Um, and then for anyone else who's listening, there's just one more thing I like to throw out there. If people think like, "Oh, I love this so much. You know, I love being a speech pathologist so much. I would do it for free." Well you have done it for free, like for a long time, right? Anytime that you've worked without getting a raise or any sort of a bonus, anytime that you worked on the weekends or done, you know, IEPs like at night when you weren't getting paid for that, worked over the summer, bought materials or CEUs that you weren't reimbursed for, you have, you've worked for free, right? So if you're interested in working for free, then private practice isn't right for you right? But if you're interested in getting paid for what you're worth and you're getting, and you want to move up that income ladder, then this is a really great option for people to check out. So yeah,
2: go ahead. Yeah. Real quick. I, I think it's a good thing to note that our clients too, I have never had a client that was like, oh, that's obscene what you're charging. And I know Rachel even was saying like her first, I remember her calling or texting me or something after her first evaluation Mm -hmm. and being like, I just told them how much I charged and they didn't even think, yeah, they didn't even bat an eye and Claire's like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm so So excited (laughs) because we, we've talked a lot about the pay and I will admit there is a lot of reflection that goes into that. It took me quite a while to come up with what I was going to charge. And I was just telling Rachel before my first couple that I started seeing, I lowballed it too much. And I regret it because I think they probably would have paid more. Um, But it is what it is. And now, you know, I do have a kind of final that I charge, but it does take some reflection and it's hard because we're not salespeople. So we feel, we feel guilty, but we shouldn't because like Jenna said, we have a master's degree and we are totally qualified for this and we're providing a service. The other thing is,
0: so I feel like as SLPs and like with our profession, by nature, we're people pleasers. Mm -hmm. And when running your own business, the reality of it is you're never gonna please everyone. So there are gonna be people that hear your prices and say, sorry, I can't, but there's also gonna be a lot of people that it's totally doable. Or like Claire just said, I told her they didn't even bat an eye and they're like, okay, let's do it. So
1: yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I have
0: people who are in
1: some of my programs So on their website, for example, list their prices under a little tab that says, like, investment, right? Oh. So, like, what your investment mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's all about how you frame it, too, and yes. how you position yourself and your services. Yeah. Because, like, think about cars, right? People have all kinds of cars, different kinds of cars that cost different amounts of money. And the whole purpose of a car is to get from, you know, one place to another, right? So you could go on, you know, the, the low end, or you could go on the high end, right? And there will be people who buy cars or speech therapy services at any level, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you can charge or you can have a price that makes sense to you. And then, you know, there will be people who will pay that and there will be people who won't, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you might as well be sort of in the, the higher like bracket or at least middle bracket. And I think it's also okay to start a little bit lower and then raise your prices. It. Like mm-hmm. That's a great way to do it. It's way right. better than starting up high and trying exactly. to come down.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sure. Because the best part of owning your own private practice is you make the rules. So once you make it, <laughs> that, it's yeah. not set in stone. You can exactly. own, there's always room for adjustment. Absolutely, mm-hmm. fabulous. Okay, so that's the get paid part, and then the last one
1: is prosper. So this is where you can decide like how much do you want to grow? Do you want to stay smaller and on the side, um, or just kind of small part time hours like where your you know kids are in school or whatnot. Or do you want to, to grow big? Like, do you want to have a big, you know, multidisciplinary private practice with a brick and mortar and a ton of employees or multiple locations, even it is completely up to you. And it takes time to work that out and it takes time to build. And there are some people, you know, I, and I have my own podcast, the private practice success stories podcast, and I interview people with all kinds of practices. And there's some people who just like are, you know, trailblazers who want to get out there and hustle and build these huge practices. And there's plenty of other people who just want to be, you know, in what works for them and their stage of life and want, you know, some extra income. So <laughs> it's completely up to you what, what you see as like, what does prosper mean to you, right? Because mm-hmm. it means a different thing like to different people. So mm-hmm. I talked about the first two phases, right? The, the picture your private practice and protect as being that foundation. The last three, the promote, get paid, and prosper. That's kind of a cyclical part of the whole thing, where where you like you promote your services, you get paid, you prosper, you promote, you get paid, you prosper, and that that goes on in that cycle for as long as you want it to. So that's the five steps that I teach in this this five step like success path. And mm-hmm. of course, there's plenty of individual steps in each of those modules, which is what I, you know, work on in my programs, but right. anybody can follow that guideline mm-hmm. and go from, I've never had a private practice, but I've been thinking about it to, oh my goodness, look at me. <laughs> I've got a great private practice. Yeah, so yeah. It's not for everybody because if it was, everybody would do it. Right. Um, but if it is for you, if it's something that you're thinking about, like, I certainly welcome you to uh, to give it a try. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, you know, people say, oh my God, well, I could get sued or I could failure or all of these kind of things, right? Well, when you have necessary protections in place, you're really minimizing a lot of that risk. Mm-hmm. So I tell people all the time that the biggest risk of private practice is not actually starting. There's plenty of people who get stuck in analysis paralysis and decide like, oh, I don't know, I can't quite figure out what my name of my private practice should be. And that was
0: Claire and I for a long time. (laughs) And how
2: did you get unstuck? I cannot tell you how long it took me to come up with a name. But then when I finally did, it was like full force. Like I just started and I kept going because that was for some, for whatever reason, that was my biggest, like, well, I just don't have a name yet. I can't start Mm -hmm. yet. That was like my (laughs) excuse almost. And once I had it, I just went for it. So yeah, whatever it is that's holding you back, I guarantee you it's not that big and you can persevere and you can get through it.
0: Yeah, so I have a question. So Jenna, why do you think now is kind of still a good time for people to get started in private practice during coronavirus and COVID and everything that's going on?
1: Yeah, great question. A lot of people have, have been asking me that and wondering, right? So the idea is that, like right now, I think we're all being very introspective about, you know, who do we want to be on the other side of this? Like, which, like, who knows how long this will be? Right, But you know, who who do we want to be? Who do we want to become? And what are we not willing to go back to? So there's a lot of people who are really thinking, like, I don't like how my school is handling telepractice, or I don't feel safe at the sniff that I work with, Mm -hmm. or you know, I've as much as I would love my kids to be back in school, I've also enjoyed this time with them and I don't want to, you know, leave them again, right? Or maybe the reality is that they can't leave them again because right. school like may or may not be happening in the fall, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that now people are really starting to think about like again, what do their lives want to be like? And then also some of the things we talked about earlier in terms of like, you know, um value and how much people are getting paid and whether or not they're being you know, respected within their profession or within their, you know, facility or or job. So people are really starting to think about, you know, if I've always wanted to do this and there really is no good time, like why not now? Right. And so since, since early March when this whole thing started, I've had over 380 people join the start your private practice system, which is my beginner program. And of those people, I don't know the exact number of people who have gotten their first client, but it's you know, like percentage wise, probably at least 25 to 30% of those. And some people mind you join and then they don't actually start, right? They get right. Stuck in the analysis paralysis thing. But of people who are going through the program and are doing the work, people are getting their first, like I said, it's subway, right? right? Like people are getting their first clients as soon as they start putting themselves out there, especially because what we talked about with, you know, people who are going without services. Mm -hmm. I know lots of like people, like other parents, like I've got two little boys. I know other parents in parent circles who have kids with special needs who just got totally dropped, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're literally not getting services or they're getting totally subpar services. Yeah, And many of these parents have hired private practitioners and that's the only way they can get services for their child mm-hmm. right and there are plenty of, of slps who have been the recipient of getting to do that because they started private practices so i feel like now is a great time because there is need on both sides yeah absolutely right? and startup costs of starting a private practice are actually really low that's another thing that people say well don't you have to have you know thousands of dollars i'm like it's not like you know, buy an engagement ring or something. You don't right. have to have this like, or a house or something. It's not like you have to have this big down payment. A lot of people think that way. Like literally all you have to have is professional liability insurance. You need a business license for your town if they require it. And you need a way to document your services. Yes. Grand total, that's about $150, right? That is insane. Like the biggest cost in starting a private practice is, is honestly graduate school. (laughs) All of your knowledge that prepared you for the field is like, you've already paid for that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why not take the knowledge that you've acquired over the last, you know, however many years you've been practicing Mm -hmm. and roll that into your own private practice.
2: And that was actually one of our questions from our listeners was how much does it cost? And I know it's hard to put a price on it because each state is different, like you said. So you have to kind of see what your state requires. But I'll just tell you guys, like for me, so I'm in Virginia. So to have my, it was my LLC plus my website plus, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting, but overall yeah. it was $300 is what I spent. But again, it wasn't just my LLC. I also got my website. I think I got the, something for taxes. Mm-hmm. I got some, like a bunch of little add-ons that I felt yeah. I needed To help me get through my first year, especially since I feel like I still don't 100% know what I'm doing from like that legal side of it, I wanted that protection. Um, But again, $300, and I can tell you that I've already made that back. So it's it's really not as expensive. I I feel like when you hear private practice, you think it's going to be this big business, so you think it's going to, you know, be this really big cost, but. Like Jenna has been saying, it doesn't have to, you don't have to rent a space right away, especially now telepractice is what everybody is expecting anyway. So you start here and then you build on it and you grow. I feel like a lot of people hear private practice and
0: they think like big town brick and mortar because I know- I mentioned earlier that I had posted on Facebook when I was like official and launched it and I had several teachers from my elementary school te- text me like you're leaving what you didn't tell me. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's my side hustle or
2: side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
0: So-, so,
1: so you don't have to be big. And then the other thing that I think people think is that you have to wait a long time, right? Or you have to have like 15, 20 plus years of experience to get started right so i think that that comes from some of that insecurity about like feeling like you need to be an expert right mm-hmm. so you can either take two paths on this either you can wait to become an expert which like what does that even mean first of all and how long could that take right there's so much that we're always learning about the field it could be 20 that that's like 20 years until you become like an expert right or you can become an expert as you're building your private practice Right. So I'm a big advocate for starting younger and starting like today, tomorrow, whatever, like now, Mm -hmm. and then building that private practice as you're also building your clinical expertise over time. If we were to look at this on a graph, right, you could see like either waiting for a really long time and then starting and then you're like kind of going up and then by that time you only have like a couple of years before maybe hopefully you retire or you can start early and that, that line is just going to grow up and up and up as both your income goes up and your level of experience goes up. So if you're wondering, you know, again, when is the best time to start?
0: Like now, what do you win? Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Um, So we do have a bunch of questions from our listeners about all things private practice. And um, in your Facebook group, Tala had asked, she said, I'd love to hear about the steps necessary to take when shifting from a sole proprietor to hiring a contractor. And then specifically she put like the legalities, forms, preparations, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Good question. So the first thing you, that you would want to do is to make sure that you have enough volume to have that independent contractor come on in your, in your practice, right? Because the independent contractor is going to want to have a certain number of sessions. So you first need to make sure that you have the need for those sessions. So that's like first and foremost. Mm-hmm. The next thing that you're going to want to do is to really make sure that you want an independent contractor and not an employee, there are very specific guidelines from the IRS that need to be followed. And there's a big difference between independent contractors and employees, and not a lot of SLPs know that, and there have been several SLPs who have gotten in trouble. And again, we're all about trying to you know, not have trouble, not have fines and whatnot. So there's a document from the IRS that clearly delineates what is an independent contractor and what is an employee to make sure that you're really hiring the right kind of person, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously need an independent contractor agreement, right? You need a form, a legal form for people to fill out that, that they sign and whatnot so that they know, again, what the expectations are. You know what the expectations are. For example, independent contractors have to have their own liability insurance. There's all kinds of things that you are like either not responsible for or that they are responsible for. And so you, that needs to be clearly delineated. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend hiring a lawyer and helping them go over the form. Mm-hmm. I do I do have a form, like an independent contractor form, but I still recommend that people make sure that they are, you know, because different states also have different rules. Not only is there the IRS, but there's also different like rules state to state. So I think it's awesome. I think it's great when people get to the the space that they're able to to hire more people. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, way to go. Uh, you just want
2: to make sure that you're doing it the right way. Right, and that's why there are lawyers and accountants out mm-hmm. there that are paid for that—that's their expertise. So, it, in my opinion, I totally agree. If I if I'm at that level, I'm going to want somebody in that expertise to help me because yeah. I can't be experts on everything. <laughs> no, and we shouldn't, right? We no. should be experts on our thing and let them be experts on their thing. Exactly, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. on our Instagram account, one of our followers and actually a friend of ours asked, "How do you get enough clients to be profitable?" And so that's, I think. A huge concern not even just a question but a concern with a lot of SLPs going into private practice is how can you be profitable so Jenna I'll let you have that first input and then Rachel and I can weigh in on that also Yeah.
1: so profitability is about having more income than expenses right so if you keep your expenses low you can be profitable like from almost off the bat right so like Claire mentioned that it costs about $300 for her to get started right so assuming, I'm, I don't know what you charge, but let's just pretend you charged $100 an hour, then you, will, you would have paid off those expenses in three sessions, right? Okay. Now you also have, it actually probably is more like four because you also have to set aside money for taxes, okay? okay. But then starting on her fifth session, all of that money would be profit, right? Right. So mm-hmm. what you have to figure out is, you know, what are your ongoing expenses, right? So let's say you are going to have clinic space and let's say you really look out and you find some really cheap clinic space in like a church basement or some sort of an office park where you sublet space from somebody else, right? So let's say that costs you like 500 bucks a month, right? So you have to make sure that you are having enough volume of clients in order to cover those expenses. So as long as you are key, or running a lean operation, meaning you don't have a lot of expenses as you're first getting started, mm-hmm. the chances of us being profitable from the very beginning are very high. Unlike nearly any other business that you would start that you would need a huge business loan or that you'd have to pay, like let's say you wanted to have like a, a retail store or a coffee shop or anything like that. Think of how much money you'd have to pay in rent, in mm-hmm. furniture in merchandise, in all kinds of stuff, right? Like it would take you literally years to be profitable Mm -hmm. where we can be profitable from almost the very beginning, as long as you keep your expenses lower than your income.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think like we've been saying, it doesn't necessarily have to be your full-time job right away. So you make it your side job for right now to make sure that you can be profitable and that this is something you actually want to do. And then you get bigger and make more profit and possibly get a bigger space, etc. Um, but it doesn't have to start that big right away. You don't yeah. have to like take out a loan and stuff like Jenna was saying. So it, it really can start way smaller than that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Especially if like right now with COVID going on, teletherapy is huge. Yeah. And, um, like assuming you have a computer and internet and all of that, the kind of startups or costs are to be profitable, profitable isn't, very and boom card. free. A yeah, yeah.
2: All the free resources online. It seriously makes it so easy you guys. Yeah.
0: Um, another question we got is related to insurance companies and whether or not you're contracted with them. So I know that you need to be credentialed with each company or panel, but can you kind of shed some light on how that process goes and where's to where to start? Cause I've attempted and it's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit tricky. So so here's the so I talked about earlier how I advise people to stay with private pay for as long as they can right mm-hmm. But if your market just you know won't quite allow that or if you feel like you've tapped out your private pay people, then becoming credentialed with insurance companies is, is the next step. So here's like a fun hack that I recommend. So if you are a, a kid person, join a couple of parent Facebook groups and ask in the Facebook group, hey, I just moved to, t- I mean, you could lie about this or not, but hey, what are, what insurance do you plan do you use? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I'm thinking about changing insurance plans. Which plan do you use, right? And because all of these people are parents, they're going to comment the name of the insurance plan because you want to make sure that you're, you're signing up with a very common plan, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, not every plan is like popular in every area, right? right. So that will at least help you decide like which plans are the most popular. And if you work with adults, you can do the same thing, but in like a, you know, general Boston group or Mm -hmm. Milwaukee or like wherever you live, right? You just want to see what are the most popular plans in your area. Then you go to the website of the plan. So let's just pretend we're talking about Blue Cross. Okay. So you go to the Blue Cross website and this is like step two of my hack here is you pretend like you are looking for services for your child or for yourself or a loved one or whoever, right? So you go to like find a provider and you look at the speech therapists and you look at that list and oh my goodness, there's Rebecca from grad school on the (laughs) list. And then you call Rebecca from grad school and you say, hey, it looks like you're credentialed through Blue Cross. How do you find Like, how do you find them, right? Do Mm -hmm. you like working? Are they easy enough to, like, do they reimburse? Or how's the paperwork? What's the turnaround time for getting paid? Blah, blah, blah. And Rebecca will either tell you, yeah, they're great, or they're a nightmare, don't sign up, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, like, how you should figure out, like, what are the top at least two or three companies that you want to be credentialed with? Mm -hmm. Now, step three is to actually fill out their paperwork and get credentialed. So every single company is going to have different like applications and whatnot. So you can go with this two ways because sometimes it takes a while for people to get potential. Depending on the company, it could be like three weeks to like three months. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of variability and, and whatnot. So either you can go the path of signing up for one at a time and like learning that system and learning how their reimbursement is and like learning the process and like nail one before doing the others or you can have more of like a shotgun approach and and be like, okay, I'm going to sign up for all three, not knowing exactly which one's going to come through first, Mm -hmm. but then if they all come through at the same time, recognize that you're going to get a bunch of referrals because all of a sudden you're on the website of three different insurance companies Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a whole bunch of parents or, you know, whatever family members who are looking for your services. So insurance is a really great way to grow but you also have to be prepared that when you actually get credentialed with those companies, you're going to get calls. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you're ready for that. Right. So I think insurance is great. It's a great way to grow, but there really are like a couple things just to be aware of as you start taking it on.
0: Yeah. And I know another thing is, so I'm not credentialed with anyone. I'm private pay only right now. And I know, um, some of the parents of the littles that I'm working with, their insurance companies will reimburse 50% for out of network providers so they can mm-hmm. still get some reimbursement. So that's, I think that's always worth looking into
2: or their HSA or FSA accounts. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I've had, I have just one family right now that uses that. Yes, um, I. but because I'm a business and because I'm credentialed in that way, you know, I'm providing a speech service. So it applies for their account. So they're paying me through that yeah. business account.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first thing that Rachel was talking about is called a super bill too. So it's like an mm-hmm. itemized receipt that you give that you know, says like the codes and everything else yep. and the dates of service. And then the families, it's like up to the families to get reimbursed, right? Yep. So they still pay you privately, mm-hmm. but then they try to get reimbursed through the insurance company. And like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a way to try to offset like the private pay thing and allow you as the provider to remain out of network. And that, that's definitely something that I teach in my programs because it's a really good way Mm -hmm. for people who are just like, I don't want anything to do with insurance. Yeah. Right. You you could, you know, do that way is great.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think our last final question is pretty simple. Just how do we find clients? So, um, we can kind of, again, weigh in on this a little bit too, but I'd love to hear your take on it, Jenna
1: so one of the things that i always recommend and claire talked about having a website and i used to say you don't need a website right away i've changed my tune on that i actually do think you need a website right away and for this reason because websites are a way to capture the low-hanging fruit of people who are actively looking for services Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so like word of mouth everybody wants word of mouth and word of mouth is great and yes, putting a post up on your, on your Facebook or in like a parent Facebook group, mm-hmm. those are great ways for people to get their first clients. But the reason to have a website is because, you're, because it's about intent and about intent to, to buy, or in this case, hire, right? Mm-hmm. If, if someone is actively looking for a speech therapist to work with their child, what are they going to do? They're going to do just like what we do. You go to Google (laughs) and you search some stuff, right? So if people don't know about you, they can't hire you. So that's the most popular way right now to find people and, you know, restaurants and whatever is through Google, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's really these days important and it's easier than ever to have a website. Websites cost about a hundred dollars a year. And there's companies like Squarespace and Wix and Weebly that make it really, really easy. They're designed for small businesses. Mm-hmm. So it's like drag and drop technology. It's super duper easy. And remember, it's a tax deduction. So you want to make sure that you have those tax deductible expenses. So, okay. And rant on that. But having a website is really important. So I think Facebook, as we talked about, is a great way to find those first clients. I love my story of the, the person in Subway yeah. with the shirt, right? That's sort of one of those stroke of luck situations. Yeah. I love that one. But having a website is really good and the other secret that I'll tell you tell y'all's audience is actually speaking at support groups think about support groups support groups are I mean right now during COVID like maybe they're not happening as much or they're happening on telepractice probably but Mm -hmm. you're in a room or maybe a virtual space with a whole bunch of people who are your ideal clients Mm -hmm. right let's say you work with kids with autism and you go to some you know uh, parents of kids with autism support group well, the whole room like mm-hmm. might be, you know, a good fit for you. And so you don't have to like do a whole hour long presentation, but maybe like I help, I used to help run the, the brain injury support group in Boston. We were always looking for guest speakers. So all you need is someone to come in and give you, give the audience like 10 tips on how to help your kid communicate better at the playground or mm-hmm. something, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're so grateful and you're positioning yourself as a helpful expert but also you're mentioning that you have a private practice, right? So certain, you know, people, if, if they like you, they like your information and you, you know, come across as helpful and whatnot, then they'll they'll give you a call and ask you some more questions and maybe hire you. So that's another really great way to that's get. such a I good love idea. that idea.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, what a good chance to like give your quick little elevator speech. And then people already know your intro and they know what you're about. I love that. That's such a good way. I, I, I also was going to say, I know I've seen some people in the group suggesting like dropping off flyers and things at like daycares, daycares and schools yeah. and, well, maybe not schools, but um, things like that where you could kind of advertise your mm-hmm. services. And that's kind of the direction I was going, honestly, before COVID hit. And so I know that's kind of hard to do now, mm-hmm. but it is something to think about because this isn't going to be forever, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So um, in the future, yeah, in the future to kind of advertise for yourself, see out places where parents might be so daycares and things like that going to your church groups and you know really anywhere that you just kind of want to talk about yourself and what you do yeah
1: yeah I I want you to go back to the doctors though Claire because yeah right now like doctors don't know who to refer to
2: that's true because Mm -hmm. like
1: schools aren't aren't like doing whatever well now it's summer anyway but like but doctors like have parents who are like, Oh my gosh, my kid is still not talking. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. We haven't had an appointment in six months because we didn't want to come in because of Mm -hmm. COVID. What am I supposed to do? My kid's still not talking. Right. Then they're past that like, uh, wait and see period or whatever. Mm -hmm. People want to know who to refer people to.
2: Right. That's such a good point. So now is the time you guys, now's the time. Yeah. Well, that is it. I think I, we went through a lot of information. I hope we answered our listeners, most of your questions, but please message us if there's something that we missed or something you'd like us to kind of ask Jenna about. Um, I just wanted to give one last little push of how easy and amazing this process has been personally for me. Um, I know that it's super scary and it seems really unrealistic at first I've been there. I honestly, for Two to three years ago, I remember sitting at my computer for like a whole weekend, almost weeks straight, and just Googling all these things. And I made lists and maps and bookmarked all these pages for private practice. And Jenna, I found you. And I had all these resources. And then I stopped. And I'm not sure what happened. I probably just got busy or scared or self-conscious or something. And I just didn't push through it. And, you know, I think now, honestly, COVID kind of pushed me into starting because it was, I was kind of frozen and I was like, this is not where I want to be. I want to keep moving forward. So this was a good first stepping stone for me. And as soon as I started, I just, I just kept going. And again, I told you earlier, once I got the name, it just kept going. And my first step was really finding my LLC. And once I was official and I had those documents that made it way more clear that I was on the right path. And it just kind of went on from there. And we will link a couple really good websites. I personally use Zen business, which was really easy to make the LLC. And they did a lot for me, um, as far as the legalities and everything. So we'll link some of those, but again, that LLC is a really good motivator because you see your name, with the business and LLC behind it. And you just feel really legit and it really helps push you, I think. So also telling people was big for me too. So posting it on my Facebook group and telling my family and friends, it held me accountable because now they ask like, oh, how's your business going? And mm-hmm. I get to tell them. So that's really cool too.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So my experience is actually pretty similar to Claire's. I first heard of Jenna and the independent clinician. Um, during the SLP summit a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. And I watched your um, CEU course and I was like, this is amazing. I have to do it. I feel so inspired. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had my um, super sweet speech Instagram going and it was awesome. And I was like, the next step is definitely starting a private practice. But I just made excuses. Like, I don't have the time, I'm planning a wedding. And then after that, it was like, while I'm a newlywed, I want to enjoy it, and then it was while well, I'm pregnant, and then it was now I have a baby, and it just kind of, kind of all snowballed into a couple of months ago when COVID started. Something kind of clicked, and I was like, now's the time. I have to stop waiting because I'm never going to meet these goals that I have for myself. And um, I just took action, and I used all the same steps as Claire did, um, with Zen Business, like Claire said, she will link that on our page and. It just made the whole process so easy. It's way less intimidating than you think it is. Honestly, the hardest part is starting.
2: Exactly. And it's, I know it sounds easy for us to say that now, but truly it is so, so much easier than you think. And it's so much more doable than you think. Um, and a really good resource is Jenna's Facebook group, that SLP private practice beginners, I think is what it's called. I, I kind of botched it. Sorry. Nope. Um, but that is such a good resource because everyone's in the same spot. So, you know, Rachel and I are lucky to kind of have been going through this together. However, there is a whole, I don't know how many people are in that group. Thousands. So, so
1: 18,000. Oh my gosh, 17, that's SLPs. insane. So yeah. think
2: of how many SLPs there are odds are there is someone in your state that can give you step-by-step information of what mm-hmm. to do. So how cool is that? You have a whole family of 17,000 SLPs just helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jenna also has a bunch of other really great resources. Um, like she said, she has her podcast. She's on Instagram. So find her follower. She's awesome. And truly, Jenna, you have been fantastic. And yes, start us starting all of this. Like you have been such a major part of it and we just met you today. So yeah. <laughs> even without meeting you, it has been a really, really good road with you. So thank you.
1: Well, you're, I'm just, I love doing this, right? I love like helping people become better versions of themselves, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Right. So Rachel. earlier y- y'all were talking about, I think Rachel was saying about, you know, you know she was a newlywed and then she mm-hmm. had kids and blah, blah, blah. So like you can either like let your kids or whatever your circumstances be the excuse Mm -hmm. or the reason Mm -hmm. why you do this, right? And so the two of you, it sounds like have really taken, you know, the situation with COVID and everything and turned it into the reason why now is the time to get started. So, you know, thank you for having me on the podcast. If anyone Mm -hmm. has any questions or anything, um, you can reach me on Instagram at independent clinician. Um, or is it alright if we give a freebie to your audience? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Fabulous. Okay. So I have the private practice roadmap so people can check that out. It's just start your com backslash freebie. Um, and then the other thing she mentioned my podcast top on it's the private practice success stories podcast. And I interview private practitioners from around the U S and actually the world. I've had people in Canada as well as women in Bali who was doing telepractice from Bali. Wow, back before telepractice was cool yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just nice to hear all the different kinds of private practices out there so mm-hmm. you know clearly you're a podcast listener if you're listening to this podcast so private practice success stories podcast should be your next listen because yes. then you get to hear what other kinds of private practices look like
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: you'll just hear people's stories and then it'll sound just like Claire and Rachel and you'll be like oh my gosh if they can do it I can do it too and that's no, no, what no. I want your take home message today to be
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, awesome. Jenna. This Thanks, has been Jenna.
0: So fun. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us again. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at SuperSweetSpeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speech is super sweet at gmail. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And do not forget to check out our website, Talk letstalkaboutspeech.com.
2: And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if you or anyone you know in the Virginia or Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me. My email is kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast. If you want to email any of your suggestions or any questions, please do so. Let's talk about speechpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we will hear from you guys soon. Bye.